0: Well, thank you, Drew. Good evening, everyone, and uh, for those in Zoom as well. It used to be easy when there was a camera in right in front of you and you were prompted to remember by seeing the camera, that I managed to remember. Now, we're going to read in Revelation chapters 8 and 9 today. Uh, both chapters are the subject that we're considering, and we will take time to read the whole of these two chapters, so Revelation chapter 8 When the Lamb opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder rumblings flashes of lightning and an earthquake now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. And a third of the moon And a third of the stars So that a third of their light might be darkened And a third of the day might be kept from shining And likewise a third of the night Then I looked and I heard an eagle Crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth At the blasts of the other trumpets That the three angels are about to blow And the fifth angel blew his trumpet And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads they were allowed to torment them for five months but not to kill them and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone and and in those days people will seek death and will not find it they will long to die but death will flee from them In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. Their breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And a power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice ten thousand times ten thousand. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the colour of fire and of sapphire and of sulphur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads, and fire and smoke and sulphur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulphur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This of course is God's word and we trust that he will bless it to us as we we consider it. Let's just remind ourselves of the context of where we're at There are seven seals on the redemptive deed, the the deeds to the earth that required to be redeemed. And we considered a couple of weeks ago uh, the breaking of the first six seals. And that's already been discussed and uh, we'll consider that in chapter 6. But the breaking of this seventh seal sets in motion... The events really run from chapter 8 through chapter 9 as we've read them and kind of all the way through to chapter 19 really um, and include these seven trumpets of which we've read about six. So we're considering six to nine although I'll allude to the seventh one but I'll go no further than that um, in uh, extrapolating forward. So that's the context of what we're Uh, thinking here and I just want to think about the significance of the breaking of the 7th seal and then think about the trumpets and I'd like to break the trumpets into two parts, there are the first four trumpets that are described in chapter 8 and then the last three trumpets that are referred to as the trumpets with the three woes of which we really dwell on the 5th and the 6th which we read about in chapter 9 although There's a little bit more about uh, the second woe, the the sixth trumpet that spills into chapter uh, 10 and, well, 11 really. Um, So, the first thing to notice really that is different about this seal is that unlike the first six, which all have some sound associated with them, um, it might be noise or it might be the sound of a voice of an angel. John tells us that when the Lamb opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence met the opening of the seventh seal, unlike the other six which had been met with some kind of sound response. When we consider that this seal we've heard it described as the title deeds of the earth there is there is this aspect that it is redemption of the earth that is uh, about to take place in its completeness Um, I think this is really the silences, the anticipation of all in heaven as the last seal is opened and as it were the last stage of this great finally steps of the ages Um, Is about to take place. Mankind in Adam. Had followed Satan rather than God. We know the story of the Garden of Eden. It was Satan's allure. That was more appealing to Adam. Than God's trustworthy promises. And God's gracious warnings. Of the consequence of eating that fruit. But the allure and the temptation caused Adam to follow after Satan. And he forfeited his rights. Death, of course, came up in the world in all sorts of ways. But now, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, he is about to return to redeem the earth not just mankind but the created earth as well we, we hear and see of that uh, in other scripture the price has been paid in his blood he has died on the cross the price is paid now his ownership is to be realised in his possession of the earth so the acts necessary for redemption to take place have happened The price has been paid and what we're witnessing as the Lord Jesus is revealed to a world um, that doesn't want him is him taking possession of that which is his by right. Remember as we thought about uh, the scroll there was no one worthy to take the scroll but then the lion of the tribe of Judah came forth and of course John saw a lamb he is worthy he died and he paid the price and what we see in this part that we've read and in subsequent parts is Jesus Christ taking up possession of that which is rightfully his which is paid for and he is going to take ownership or he's going going to take possession of that over which he already has achieved ownership so it's a tremendous event and there's silence in heaven the angels are silent the church is silent all are silent for about half an hour now John of course talks about things in language we understand, I don't quite know what half an hour means in an eternal sense um, and I won't go into that but the significant thing for John was it wasn't just a flash of time it wasn't just, well for a few seconds things were quiet half an hour is a while we had a two minute silence this morning at 11 o'clock it was a reasonable amount of time well half an hour is a long time to be silent so John was really telling us I think the real import of half an hour of silence is that there was a significant pause and those present contemplated what was going to happen and God himself paused as it were in the execution and the delivery of his wrath now what we read of are seven angels who are described as the seven angels who stand before God. It's worth noting that it's the seven angels who stand before God. These are a particular seven angels, I think. They're not seven angels who happen to be standing in the presence of God in the vision that John had. And here are these seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Gabriel was sent from the presence of God to Mary we also read of Michael there are others that are referred to in apocryphal writings by name so we can't be entirely sure about the names but certainly we know of Gabriel and of Michael and and I reckon these are very high ranking if not the highest ranking of angels who stand before God and as they stand seven trumpets are given to them trumpets speak of various things in scripture but they certainly speak of war think of um, Jericho being encircled and the blowing of the trumpets was an important part of the encirclement of Jericho and of Jericho's ultimate destruction Jeremiah we Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 19 Jeremiah writes I hear the sound of the trumpet the alarm of war and these trumpets are certainly going to bring something fearful that could generally be described as war something terrible and awesome and these seven angels are each issued with a trumpet but there's an 8th angel on the scene and this 8th angel who I believe is an angel it's not, uh, it's not as I think as some would suggest the Lord Jesus it's another angel another of the same kind angel is the, is the word he comes up and he stands at the altar with a golden censer and it's quite remarkable what happens. He is given much incense, says Scripture. John saw the incense being given to him and remarked that it was a lot of incense. And this incense is taken and it's mingled with the prayers of the of the saints. And th- this incense and the prayers of the saints ascend to God on high you know I don't know what you think when you pray I know I find it difficult to think about the significance of praying because it's such a difficult thing to grasp that the words we utter ascend to the throne of almighty God But as I thought about what was about to happen. This seventh seal being broken is going to lead to the Lord Jesus establishing his kingdom on the earth. What was the prayer that the Lord taught the disciples when they asked them to pray? Or at least what's one line of it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now I'm not suggesting and I don't think the Lord was suggesting that we quoted these words verbatim it was the essence of it but a large part of our prayer life should be that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven thy kingdom come and whilst we would seek to do God's will whilst here on earth. We do know that in the day-to-day run of things, God's will is not being done on earth. But what we're contemplating here, and we'll come to, of course, in studies as we, as we reach further down by about chapter 20, is that literally being fulfilled. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that aspect of the prayers of the saints ascends and rises before God from the hand of the angel and that having happened during the silence things are still silent the angel takes the censer, he fills it with coals from the altar and he hurls it on the earth and the silence ends and we read of peals of thunder, rumblings flashes of lightning and earthquake the seventh seal has been broken and the judgments associated with it are about to roll out across the earth you know there's a developing intensity that we notice as we go through the seals and the trumpets and later the other passages the first six seals don't get me wrong are bad enough any one of them is a terrible thing but the seventh seal has far more to it in intensity and volume than any of the other six even the all had it together I would say and then it's the same with the trumpets and God's wrath is building up And building up. And we see this. But the great thing is. Just referring back to the thought of that prayer. When the seventh trumpet sounds. What we read of chapter 11. And this is an allusion. I'm not going to go into it in detail. The words we read in chapter 11 verse 15 are. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever so they are culminating in this great crescendo that we'll consider in uh, next week I think Kevin's got chapter 10 and 11 so next week so let's think of this first set of trumpets in the remainder of chapter uh, chapter 8 the first four trumpets the The descriptions that John gives and the whole of the book of Revelation has been subject to so many analyses and analogies and so on and so forth that you wouldn't know where to start if you were trying to create a list of all the various ways in which Revelation has been described. All I can say is what convicts me And uh, I think these things that we read of, all of what we read there, are just to be taken literally. I know it would be easy to look at things in particular and say, ah, that's very like a description of a tank, or that's very like a description of a helicopter gunship, or that's very like a description of a nuclear war, but I think we're missing the point. cast your mind back to the days of Noah sin was rampant God said there will be a flood and Noah preached and Noah testified to there going to be a flood and no one listened and it would seem from scripture that, well of course Noah was mocked that's not seemed. it would seem that a lot of the mocking of Noah was down to the fact that this was such a stupid idea how can this moisture that we see settling on the grass every day end up overwhelming the world and covering the whole world how can this be and people had never witnessed a cataclysmic flood and thankfully we'll never witness one ourselves but the oceans of the deep delivered water crevices appeared and water appeared we read of it it happened for real, it rained as well things happened God made things happen but it never happened before as he brought his judgement on the world in Noah's day so I don't think we should get too hung up on the fact that we don't understand how what we read of can relate to things that we know of because this is a cataclysmic event God in the person of the one who sits on the throne and in the person of his son God is bringing about his possession of the world and mankind living is being subject to his wrath And all sorts of things are going to happen that have never happened before. And I think the easiest way is to take it as it reads. It's also significant that when we read uh, verse 8 about the second angel, John records that something like a great mountain burning with fire so John describes something like a great mountain burning with fire well again I think that if John was talking figuratively he wouldn't bother to say the Holy Spirit wouldn't have caused them to write something like a great mountain because he would just have said a great mountain wouldn't he because if it was representing something else he would have used that language the same as he talked about a great star falling from heaven but John saw something and he had no way of describing it other than to say it was like a great mountain burning with fire that was thrown into the sea but as we think of these four uh, initial trumpets the first trumpet affects the earth and vegetation the second the sea and its contents and the ships on them the third affects fresh water, it's water that's to be drunk, that's the significance of it, so it's fresh water and the fourth affects light And all of them eliminate a third of what they are targeting, if you will. will, With a caveat that all green grass was burned up. And the natural world suffers. Earth suffers. The natural world suffers. Yes, there would be mariners in the ships. Yes, there were people who died but the focus is on the world itself suffering and a large portion a third of it is affected adversely so great is the wrath of God pouring out on this world so great is the consequence of sin and then John looks and he hears this eagle crying out with a loud voice and the words from the eagle are fearsome really woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow the focus changes from the earth the sea, the rivers the, the stars and the heavens and so on and the moon and the sun to the people who inhabit the world And this great eagle calls out that the three trumpets that are left to be sounded each of them is going to bring a terrible woe on the inhabitants of the world those who dwell on the earth And we have in chapter 9 the first two of these three woes so if we think of the fifth trumpet which is the first twelve verses down to where it says the first war has passed and behold two woes are still to come John sees a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit Now there is an example where it's quite reasonable to say that that's not a physical star because John would not have said he so again we're, we're reading naturally the star that he sees he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit the abyss and although it's not stated explicitly it would seem that that was Satan fallen from heaven to earth and he's given he didn't own. He didn't have. But he was given by God, whether through an angel, or whatever is secondary, under the authority of God, he was given the keys to the abyss. And what is in the abyss? You recall the story of the Lord going to the to the country of the Gadarenes, and uh, he meets the man. Who calls himself legion because he is possessed by so many demons. And the Lord casts out the demons. Well we read there that the demons begged of him that he wouldn't send them into the abyss. They were cast into the swine and ran over the edge. And the swine were drowned. They dreaded being sent to the abyss. So the demons knew of the abyss. Where it is, we don't know. Whether it's a physical place somehow within the earth or whatever, we don't know. What matters is the sense of it being a deep, deep, deep place in which God has placed demons under lock and key. And when Satan opens the shaft of this bottomless pit, smoke arises like the smoke from a great furnace. Where I was brought up, furnaces were a common sight. I don't know about in Aberdeen. But smoke coming out of a furnace is a filthy thing. Dense smoke. Smelly smoke. It's horrible stuff. You know, sometimes we might like to sit by a campfire or whatever and smell the wood burning and we think the smoke's nice. But the smoke from a furnace is foul. And as it rises from the shaft, out of it come locusts on the earth that are given the power of scorpions of the earth. Now, again, in this case, these are strange things, they're not literal scorpions because of the description we have of them they're not the kind of scorpion that you might find uh, in some countries thankfully not here with stings in their tail that would cause great hurt, although they don't kill people generally speaking But these scorpions they come out not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, nor have they to harm those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. Remember, Paul dealt with the seal of God that was been placed on these one hundred and forty-four thousand of Israel last week. These demons that had been released were prevented. God is in control of all of this. But the picture we have of this five months of torment where people are wishing they were dead because of this demonic horde that's overrunning the world people would rather be dead but they're not dying they're deprived of it it's torment it's a horrible torment and living people are experiencing this sensation of punishment and torment from which there is no escape an indication methinks of what is to come when they're cast into the lake of fire in the fullness of time and these horrible beasts these locusts they had a king over them who was the angel of the bottomless pit that kind of leads me to believe that these were angels who had revolted with Satan and God had placed in a state of imprisonment and the name of this angel is Abaddon in Hebrew, Greek Apollyon, it means destruction or destroyer and boy did they destroy Things and they harmed people and they ran amok when God withdraws his constraint and Satan gets to do with mankind what Satan wants it's not the good of mankind that we see there's no love towards mankind there's no kindness shown Satan and his hordes are setting out to damage mankind that's why he persuaded Eve to take the fruit and get her to persuade Adam it was to bring man's downfall and were it not for the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus it would have been successful because man succumbed And here he is, he releases these demons from the bottomless pit, from the abyss and they torment the people of this world with the exception of those with the seal. It certainly is a woe. God is giving man the experience of what he has hankered after. Man turned his back on God and followed the ways of Satan in various forms. And now he's getting a taste of what Satan will do with man when God takes away the restraints that he has graciously placed on Satan and his hordes down through the ages up to this point. It's a frightening scene. But we read in verse 12, the first will has passed Two woes are still to come and we'll consider the second of these woes with the blowing of the sixth trumpet by the, or his trumpet by the sixth angel. But it's interesting that as the sixth angel blows his trumpet John hears a voice calling and the voice is calling from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. the place the altar, the place of mercy the place where sacrifices were made the place that brought about forgiveness it's that sense of the altar that this is not a cry for mercy the voice says to the sixth angel release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates Euphrates it's kind of Mesopotamia, that area the Euphrates is mentioned right back in the beginning of our Bibles as one of the rivers that flowed out of Eden and you can trace to the Euphrates all sorts of things in Genesis it was a river that flowed from Eden Eden, the place of man's first sin it would have been in that area that Abel was murdered by Cain it was to that area that Nimrod went that man who boasted of his strengths and so on and so forth and set up cities the world's first dictator perhaps a mighty hunter we don't read that he was a great man of God It was in that area that the Tower of Babel was built. It wasn't built, of course, as the Tower of Babel. That was what it became, Babel, because God confounded their speech. It was in that area that Babel, Babylon, an empire that ended up taking the Jews into captivity was based. And the captivity was there. There are so many things associated with that area. Well, We read here of four angels bound at the river Euphrates. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that these angels are evil, but I really can't see how angels serving God would have been bound by him over the millennia. These angels, I would put it to you, are commensurate with these hordes and Satan fallen angels and they'd been prepared for the hour the day, the month and the year and they were released to kill a third of mankind the, the, the description that they'd been prepared for the hour the day, the month and the year um, uh, there are two ways in which we c- we, we read commentators uh, describing that, it's either um, a point in time, it was that hour on that day and that month and on that year, or it's a period of an hour plus a day plus a month plus a year. Um, I think last week, I think Paul indicated the significance of God's appointed time, and, and personally, I would I would favour that. It was a time had been set; these angels had been prepared for that point in time although whether it's also a time of the period you get by altogether or some other period of time the one thing that is clear is the end of it was also appointed God so it is true to say that they were appointed to do what they had to do at a start and at an end in God's calendar whether the period between the start and the end is 13 months in a day and an hour or not is, is a kind of secondary in importance anyway but what was it they were tasked with doing or allowed to do kill a third of mankind the UN says that the population of the earth is going to go through 8 billion on Tuesday this week very topical there was it's not so long ago they said 2023 but growth has been faster you can go on a UN website and watch the obviously estimated population of the earth building up and building up and the UN estimate is 8 billion by Tuesday this week so we'll make the maths easy, we'll call it 9 billion 3 billion people are going to die or thereby that is a colossal number. A massive number of people are going to die. These angels summoned 200, 000, 200 million mounted troops, and it was by them that the population of the world was destroyed. I don't necessarily think that this is a literal army of humans tasked with this. I think this is also in some sense demonic. But the key thing is that whether it is or whether it's people in some sort of military apparatus John says that by these three plagues which were the fire and the smoke and the sulphur that came out their mouths third of mankind was killed God's wrath and what God has caused to happen are entirely just and God is wholly entitled to behave like this because he's righteous so evil is sin sinfulness and disobedience to him so rebellious is mankind that this is a taste of God's wrath being poured out and remember it's not the final demonstration of God's wrath which the lake of fire will will be and yet we read In verses 20-21, some staggering things. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which can't see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. they were blinded to they would rather worship demons than turn to God despite what demonic forces had done across the world in the immediately preceding time so despite God's wrath and the experience of what Satan did when he had the opportunity mankind still wanted to worship demons and Satan that's what this world is going to be like it's frightening but it's a great great blessing to know that we're not going to be around to see it happening whilst here It's interesting the last verse, the things that are listed of which they didn't repent. Murder. Murder takes lots of different forms. Probably when you start to think about murder, you think of you know, somebody sticking a knife in somebody in a dark alley. But abortion is murder infanticide as murder deliberately doing away with the sick and infirm and the elderly who aren't worthwhile in inverted commas anymore or who are disabled these are all forms of murder and more and more of them are becoming both legalised and considered Acceptable and reasonable thing to do. Sorcery. Well, I tell you an interesting thing I learned. I don't. I don't look up uh, all the Greek words of all the ver- every word I'm reading, but this one. Um, the word is pharmakeia. Pharmacy, pharmakeia. And the same word it could have the two meanings but the same word is used for using drugs and in the sorcery at the time as John was writing this the administration of drugs was all part and parcel of the sorcery the drugs were probably not as sophisticated as we have now but nonetheless they'd be potent when John was writing but just think of the way in which the abuse of chemical substances of drugs has run rampant in many parts of the world while people are still going to take part in that kind of thing sexual immorality things that even 50 years ago would have been illegal never mind frowned upon I know if you go back to Roman times and so on you can see these things being acceptable in some way but we now see them as being an entitlement my grandson was put in detention for a lunch break because he dared to say in class this was in Jersey just just the other week or month he dared to say in class that the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, so he suffered detention for that. Good on you, Oliver. And all sorts of things that I'm not going to speak about, all bundled up under some strange label of LGBTQ plus. Letters keep on getting added for perversions God says that sex takes place between a married man and a woman and only under these circumstances anything else is sexual immorality anything else whether it be perverse or whether it be outside of marriage between a man and a woman before or with a partner that you're not married to. But these things in the world we live in are seen as no big deal. There are only a few things that are left that are taboo. Theft. I thought, theft's a strange one. And we're nearly finished. Theft's a strange one. I thought, and I thought, what's the significance of theft? Well, Theft's about selfishness. I want to have that thing that doesn't belong to me and I want it without having to pay for it. I'm going to steal it. I'll let somebody else do all the hard work of earning the money to pay for it or whatever, whatever. And there's no love involved. You don't steal from people you love. And you certainly don't steal for their benefit. So the sense of self-centeredness a love of me every day somebody's a narcissist it's become the popular word everybody's a narcissist it's become meaningless whether it be a recent prime minister or whether it be somebody else but you you can't help you can't help but read a paper and somebody's described as a narcissist well don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that it is the case and that these diagnoses are correct or anything like that. But the very idea that the world is becoming more and more populated by people who are so self centred and so loving of themselves is starting to become normal and normalised. I know it's used as a term of, sort of abuse in inverted commas, but nonetheless, it's prevalent. So we see all these things in the world around us. It's going to be worse in these days when that which restrains has been taken away. So, in conclusion the seventh seal is broken and we're approaching the climax of redemption. But mankind is increasingly unrepentant and sinful. Yet God shows grace. Only a third of the people dwelling on the earth were killed and we know as we thought last week that there are indeed those who will be saved in the great tribulation and God in his grace is giving men and women, children the opportunity only a few will take it perhaps and I think we've got a little bit of insight into God's grace towards us in the present time the worst of demons and evil angels are bound and God protects us from them very quickly if I just uh, turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 save time, Don't. I'm only going to read a couple of verses you don't need to turn to it but you know Paul's writing about the whole armour of God He says in verse 12 We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. John gives us some insight well the Lord gives us insight through what John was asked to share. In the writings of John we have some insight into the depravity and the strength of the power that Paul was talking about there but we go on down and there's the armour of God being donned and verse 18 praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and for me that kind of closed the loop to the early verses that we read where we read that the eighth angel took the prayers of the saints and they ascended to God on high prayer is powerful and let's ensure that whilst it's absolutely right and proper that we pray for one another and for our well being and we remember those that are ill and so on and so forth but let's never forget to pray in the words of the Lord to the disciples thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven most assuredly it will be so and here we've seen something of how Jesus Christ will make it so it will happen but we should pray for it nonetheless because he asked us to pray for it so terrible things but as always we rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is and will be victorious and he will one day redeem creation to himself as well as his people shall we pray our God and Father we give thanks for the wonders of your word we give thanks for what we are shown in it of how the Lord Jesus will come in power and glory we thank you that there is coming a day when that which is rightfully his he will take for himself And we do indeed pray Lord hasten the day And Father we Pray that we might be Found Day by day Seeking to do thy will On earth As it is in heaven Help us to know it But Father we pray that we might have the desire To do it As we live through Day by day So we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Amen.